Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18 this morning. Last week we kicked off this series that we've entitled Anchored, Finding Stability in the Midst of Rough Waters. And, and that's really our aim and our goal as we walk through this book, really this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, Paul being the author of this letter through the Holy Spirit. And so really this entire book is teaching us, if you remember, what it looks like to be someone who is maturing in their relationship with the Lord. Remember how we defined spiritual maturity last week, that, that oftentimes we can think of spiritual maturity as all based on what we know and knowledge and and I know a lot about the Bible, and we can easily get caught up into that thinking, and that's all well and good. We ought to be growing in our knowledge of God's Word. But spiritual maturity, as we mentioned last week, is not solely based on what we know, but how we're taking what we know and we're applying it to what we are experiencing in life. And when we are doing that, that is a sign that we are maturing in our walk with the Lord because spiritual maturity is revealed in our stability in the midst of rough waters. And so that's what this book is all about. That's our aim. That's our goal. And so as we start off this morning, I want to ask you a question. So let's just imagine that I'm meeting you for coffee somewhere at some coffee shop and you attend this church and, and I'm brand new and I sit across the table from you and you've invited me to have coffee with you and I ask you this question. Here's the question. If I asked you this, how would you define the gospel? What would you say? Some of you who are very astute and maybe a little bit more knowledgeable would say, well, it means good news. And I would applaud you and say, absolutely, it means good news. But if I'm sitting there across the coffee, across the table from you in the coffee shop, and I'm like, well, that's great. You've told me what it means, but why is it good news? That's what I really want to know. Why is it good news? And hopefully this is what you would say in some shape or form, that the reason why it's good news is because it's the message that, that God sent Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to live a perfect life for you, a sinless life for you, in place of your sinful life that all of us are sinners all of us have fallen short of the glory of god romans 3 23 so god sent jesus christ god in the flesh to do what we couldn't do to live a perfect life in our place and then he died on the cross for our sins he gave his life for us he paid the penalty that our sin deserved romans 6 23 because the wages of sin is death and so Jesus Christ died and paid the penalty that a holy, righteous judge required that someone had to pay for our sin. And Jesus did that for you. And then three days later, he rose again from the grave. Because he rose again from the grave, he's victorious over sin and death. And today, you can place your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Not in the good that you do, because it can never be good enough before a holy sinless God, but based on what Jesus Christ has done for you, if you place your trust in that, you can have an eternal relationship with God. You can be declared innocent by God. You can have an eternal relationship with this holy God and call Him Father. That you can have a destiny secured for you in heaven so that when you pass from this life to the next, you know exactly where you'll be. You'll be in the presence of God. And you can have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you that equips you to live this life with a new perspective in a victorious way. That is the gospel. 
And when we think of the gospel, often those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ and have placed our trust in that, we think of the gospel in terms of it's the thing that secures our eternal destiny. And I wouldn't argue with that at all. But what I want you to see in this book, in the life of Paul, in the way that he looks at rough waters in life, that the gospel not only secures my eternal destiny, but it also shapes the way that I see circumstances. And we're going to see that in the life of Paul. And if you were here last week, we gave quite a bit of time to the background in which this book was written. And if you didn't know already, you can watch our sermons online. You can subscribe to our podcast. I encourage you to do that if you miss a Sunday. But if you remember last week, we mentioned how Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi while he is in a Roman, Roman prison for the first time in his ministry. And sometimes we, when we look at these books of the Bible, many of us know how these stories play out. And so we have a tendency, because we know the end of the story, that we look at what's going on in the story in a different way. But think about it. Paul did not know that he was going to be freed from this Roman prison. He didn't know that. He didn't know how long he was going to be there. He didn't know if his life was going to be taken by, from, from Caesar tomorrow. He had no idea how this was going to play out. He didn't know he would be freed and he would continue on in his ministry. And even when he was free, he still had threats for his life. But I think it's so interesting that as Paul encounters these rough waters, these experiences in life that really none of us would want to experience, whether it's being imprisoned, whether it's persecution, whatever it may be, it's interesting that he faces them with this grace-filled, fueled optimism that really can't be explained in human terms. And we're going to see that in verses 12 through 18. But before we get there, I want, I, want, I want to get an idea of who I'm talking to this morning. So think about, I want to ask you this question. How many of you in your house right now would say that you have a lot of pictures that you know you need to put in frames, but have yet to be in one? Raise your hand. Yeah, look at it. Just hold your hands up. Don't be afraid. Of, don't be ashamed of that. My hands are raised. All right, everybody look around. I'm looking around. I don't see anybody not raising their hands. And if you're not raising your hands, then you're probably not telling the truth. And for sure, you don't want to do that. So I'm going to assume everyone's raising their hand. And, and here's what I find interesting. The older you are, you know what the reality is? You have a lot of pictures stuffed in drawers somewhere. You're like, man, I'll get to those someday. I'll organize those someday. I'll put them in frames someday. Those of you who are younger are like, what? You like print out pictures? Like, no, I got a bunch on my phone that I'm hoping at some time will be in a frame or, or on my computer. Yeah, at one time you actually had these things. Like you even had this thing called a disposable camera. And when you took a picture of it, you had no idea if it was a good picture or not. You literally found out you went to a drugstore and you got all the pictures. You're like, that's exposed. That's exposed. Oh, there's a good picture. One out of 36. Like some of you have no idea what that is at all. But the point being is that most of us in this room have pictures that were like I know I want to put them in a frame but they have yet to be in a frame I'm no 
different than you. And the reason why I mention that is I want you to think about why do we put pictures in a frame? So I have a picture of, this is a family picture, um, and here's what's interesting. I raised my hand. I'm guilty. So I've had this picture. This picture was taken almost a year ago, and I'm finally putting it in a frame to hang on my wall in my office. So I'm right there with you. But think about it. When we put a picture in a frame, why do we do it? Well, we do it because we want to memorialize it, right? Whether it's a birth of a child. Some of you who are having your first kid will find out that when God willing, if you want a second one, when you have a second one, he or she's not going to have near as many pictures as your first kid. So I'm just going to tell you that. Don't, we're guilty of that. So whether it's a birth of a child and you want to memorialize that, not the actual birth probably, but the, but the child who was born, like you want to memorialize that. Maybe, maybe it's a birth of a child. Maybe it's a wedding. Right, and we have some that have just gotten married recently, and 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 you want to spend money, exorbitant amounts of money for those pictures that hopefully will end up in a frame. Right, you frame it. Maybe it's a wedding, maybe it's some sort of celebration, whatever it is. But you do that. You put it in a frame because you want to memorialize it. Maybe you want it to be the focal point in your home. Maybe maybe you're like maybe you're in here and you're like, man, we've lived in our house for over a year and we still got nothing on the walls. Like, what's our problem? And so you like, well, we got to get some pictures and we got to find some frames and we got to hang them on the walls. Why? Because you want it to be a focal point in your house. Maybe for others of you, it just means something special to you. So you want to put it on your desk or your bookshelf or in your house or whatever it is. But when we frame a picture, it really gives it a new perspective, doesn't it? And what I want you to do is I want you to think of events in your life right now as pictures. Because that's really what a picture is, right? It's that moment and it's frozen in time. It's why you want to memorialize it. It's why it's special to you. You want to remember it just in that way. And you know what I found interesting is I've never put a picture in a frame of a tragedy. Let alone taking a picture of it. I've never done that. But when I say I want you to think of the events in your life in pictures, I just don't want you to think of those good events as pictures. I want you to think right now of those difficult events. Those tragic events. Those events that you can't explain still to this day. Those events that happened years ago that you're still trying to work through. Those events that are happening right now. And for some of us, we deal with them different ways. For some of us, it's just like all those pictures that we have shoved in drawers that we know we need to get out at some point, but we haven't already. And I wonder if some of us, we have some pictures of some pretty painful events, but we shoved them in a drawer because we don't want to deal with them. Or maybe some of us, some others of us, yeah, we have taken the picture of a painful or tragic event or, or, or a time of rough waters, and yeah, we put it in a frame, but we put it in a frame of anger. We put it in a frame of bitterness. 
And so we see that event, that difficult time, that tragedy, that time of rough waters, but we're seeing it in a frame of anger or we're seeing it in a frame of bitterness and we're angry at God and we're maybe anger is festered and we're bitter at God or maybe it's jealousy. And that event is framed in jealousy because, because we're upset that God chose to do something in a certain way for that person and not for us. I don't know what it is, but here's the deal. Regardless of whether those pictures of those painful events have been shoved in a drawer and you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that, so I'm just putting them away. Or whether you frame them in a painful, really wrong way. What I want you to do as we read this passage of Scripture is I want you to take out those pictures. And I want you to lay them before God. And lay them before this passage. And allow God to help frame those pictures. Let me pray for us. God, I pray this morning for what we're going to look at today. And Lord, I would be naive to think that there are many in this auditorium right now who have very painful things. Things that happened years ago, things that happened months ago, things that happened yesterday, things that happened even today. Things that they're experiencing right now. And maybe it's ignorance, I don't even know how to react to this. Or maybe it's anger and I'm angry at God right now that He would allow this. Or I'm bitter towards God because He took this. Or I'm, I'm, I'm jealous of that person that this worked out for them like it hasn't worked out for me. I don't know what it is, Lord, but You do. And I pray that we would lay those quote-unquote pictures before You and before Your Word this morning and allow Your Holy Spirit to speak to those things today. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of this message this morning is this, Purpose Frames Perspective. And so I want to read verses 12 through 18 this morning, and then I want us to just walk through it and see how God wants us to frame those events that we're experiencing or have experienced or I know will experience in the future. And so would you look at me in verse, with me in verse 12? I'm going to begin reading. It's, Paul says this, I want you to know, remember he's writing to the church at Philippi, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here's the idea that I want you to get from this passage of Scripture this morning. I encourage you to write this down, whether it's on that card that you received or it's in your Bible this morning. It's this, your purpose frames your perspective. Your purpose frames 
your perspective. And what I want us to see this morning is that when I have a biblical perspective to how I am to live my life, it provides me with this stability in the midst of rough waters. That God, when I understand what my purpose is and what your word says my purpose is, what it does is it frames my perspective properly, and the result is, is it provides me with a supernatural stability even in the midst of rough waters. And so if that's what we're getting at this morning, then I think it would be good for us to do, literally to share, to define what your purpose is as a follower of Jesus Christ. That if you're here this morning and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what is your purpose given to you by God? And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that I would implore you and God would implore you to place your faith in Jesus Christ and not in the good that you've done, but in the perfection and the death and the resurrection that Jesus Christ has provided for you. But here's the purpose. It's this, God's purpose for your life as a Christ follower is for you to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your purpose, that's my purpose, is for me to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share with others how they can place their faith in the love that God had for them through Jesus Christ. That that's part of my purpose, to declare that, to share that with my words. But there's also another aspect to it. Because remember what I said, that when we define the gospel, we oftentimes think of it as a message to, of hope to secure one's eternal destiny with God forever in heaven and have a relationship with Him and, and have victory here on this life through the Holy Spirit, and that's true. But there's also another element of the Gospel because it's the Gospel that provides me with the Holy Spirit that gives me the power to apply God's Word to every situation and experience in my life so that I can grow in that relationship with the Lord. So the gospel also helps frame my perspective in how I see those rough waters. And so if I understand that my purpose in life is to declare and demonstrate the power of the gospel as the Holy Spirit grows me in my relationship with Him, then it's going to frame how I see also the purpose of rough waters in my life. Here's why I say our purpose is to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ because in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, that we've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And God could have chosen a lot of different ways to tell people about the gospel. Like I think a pretty good way would be the sky opens up Trumpets blow. God speaks audibly. I would say that'd be a very persuasive way for people to accept the gospel, wouldn't you? I'd be like, God, that's a great way. Like, that's probably at the top of the list. I don't know how anybody could not respond to that in the way that you would desire. But God didn't do that. See, God says, here's what I want to do. I want to entrust the saving message of the gospel and how much I love every man, woman, and child and that I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to live, die, and be risen for their sins. And I want to give that message to the people that have been changed by it. That's why I say our purpose is to declare the gospel. 
And then it says in verse 20 that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, God making His appeal through us. In other words, that it's not just what I say with my mouth, but it's how I live with my life. It's how I encounter difficult circumstances that causes people to look at it and say, why is he or she responding to those rough waters in that way? Because that's completely opposite of the way that I would respond. What's different about them? Well, what is God doing? He's saying, here's my way of sharing the gospel with the world is for my people who have been changed by it to declare it and to demonstrate it. That's our purpose. That's your purpose if today. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's my purpose. And so what I want to do this morning in this passage of Scripture is I want to give you three ways that we are to look at rough waters as God's purpose is framing our perspective. That when I'm embracing that purpose, I'm submitting to that purpose. And it's framing my perspective. It's framing the way that I look at pictures of unforeseen circumstances, of difficult circumstances, of tragedy in my life. That as it frames my perspective, I'm going to look at it three ways according to this passage of Scripture. Here's the first one, and it's found in verses 12 through 13. As a time to engage those who are searching. That when I encounter rough waters, that as I, as I encounter difficult circumstances, that as I encounter tragedies that come into my life, that I am seeing them as a time to engage those who are searching. Here's why I say that. Did you see there in verse 13 that Paul says, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So you can read over that and be like, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's what you need to understand about the imperial guard. They were called the praetorium. So these weren't any regular old Roman guards. This was like the secret service Navy SEALs of the Roman guard. This was the praetorium. You ever see Gladiator? Like, this is a plug that I get. I'm not getting any money for this. An awesome movie. Like one of my favorites. But that Roman guard, like Russell Crowe type of guy, like that's the praetorium. And these praetorium, these individuals that were in this sect of the Roman army, they were handpicked. Like, you didn't get to say, well, I'm signing up for that. No, no, no. You were handpicked to be a part of that. And this praetorium was made up of 9,000 manly, macho, strong dudes that you didn't want to mess with. And here's what's interesting is that these individuals were honored with double pay, so they got paid twice as much as all the other soldiers. They had pensions. Whatever that, I mean, they had a 401k. They had special duties that the other Roman guards didn't have. And here's, what was, here's what's interesting. Here was, here's was one of their duties. Is that they had to guard imperial prisoners by an attached chain. So these special prisoners that were of more of a threat than others, they had to be chained to them. Wasn't it interesting that Paul just happened to be chained to these very influential men. Can you imagine? Like, put ourselves in the story. Paul's in this Roman prison. It's filthy. It's unlivable by any sort of 
standards that we would have, but Paul's sitting there, and every single day, he gets chained to a different Roman special forces guard. Can you imagine what Paul's thinking today? Man, I wonder who I'm going to be chained to this time, because I promise you they're going to hear about Jesus. Can you imagine the Roman guards? Oh my goodness, you got to get chained to Paul today. Oh my word, just get ready. Because for 24 hours, all you're going to hear is about this Jesus character and how he changed Paul's life and how he saw this shining light on a road to Damascus and how Paul was one, at one time murdering Christians and then God changes his life and now he's sharing all over the known world about the gospel. You just wait. And Paul gets linked up to another guy and thinking to himself, man, this guy's even bigger than the last guy. This guy looks even meaner than the last guy. Man, I can't wait, Lord, to what you're going to do to his heart when I share with him the greatest message that was ever given, the message that was entrusted to me, the message that calls me an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I can't wait till I share that with him. And evidently, as Paul is chained to these very influential Roman guards, God begins to win them to the Lord. Because at the end of chapter 4, Paul says, hey, I want to greet you all. But then he mentions, I also want to greet those of Caesar's household. So evidently, quite a few of these manly, macho, special forces Romans guards, that their heart melted when they were faced with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason why I say that one of the ways that we look at rough waters in a fresh way as we embrace our purpose and allow that to frame our perspective is that we see them as a time for those who are searching. Is Paul says, wait a minute, even though I'm in a prison right now, and even though I have every reason to be angry at God, and even though I have every reason to be bitter at God, and every, even though I have every reason to frame my circumstances in jealousy because I'm in here and others are not. Wait a minute, no, 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 no. I'm going to see this in a fresh way because I'm going to embrace why am I here? I'm here to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so even though I don't want to be here, I'm going to see it as a way that I can embrace and share with those who are searching the message that God has used to change my life. And so often, and I'm so guilty of this, that when I'm, in, when I'm going through a time of rough waters, I can become so tunnel-visioned and be so self-absorbed where all I'm thinking is about me and what I'm going through and how it's affecting me and how I don't understand and I, 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 I. And listen to me, I'm not minimizing whatever you're going through this morning. And I think it's important to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you doing in me? Lord, even asking why this is happening. I don't think any of those things are wrong. But I think so often we can go too far and become so self-absorbed that in being self-absorbed, we miss the purpose of what God wants to do in the midst of that tragedy and to see it as maybe this is an opportunity and a time that God has given me in the midst of my tragedy to engage those who are searching and need to hear the message of the gospel that has saved me and is changing me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I was preparing this message, I thought of so many people in this room. So many people that are going through so many things and hearing stories of when you went through those things and nurse after nurse would go into your room when you or your spouse were going through that difficult time and 
how God used that time of tragedy, that time of uncertainty, that time of rough waters for you to be a testimony of the gospel that has changed you in that, in that woman, in that man who was a nurse, in that doctor to actually say, why are you reacting so differently with this scenario when there's other people on your hall that are dealing with the same scenario and they're reacting so differently? And the reason why you reacted that way is because God allowed you to see, wait a minute, what's my purpose in life? My purpose in life is to declare and demonstrate the life-changing power of the gospel for God's glory. That's my purpose. So I'm going to allow that purpose to frame my perspective so I can have stability in the midst of rough waters. The first way that we look at rough waters when we're allowing that purpose to frame our perspective, number one was as a time to engage those who are searching you saw that in verses 12 through 13. Here's the second thing, and it's found in verse 14. As a testimony to encourage those who are watching. You see Paul's shift? In 12 and 13, he's saying, man, here's what I, here's what I want you to know. Is that I'm so encouraged that I've been able to use this time to share with people who don't know Jesus about how much he loves them and what he did for them through his life, death, and resurrection. Like, I want you to know that, church at Philippi, what God's doing there. But then he makes a shift now to people who already know and have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in verse 14 again. He says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now think about this. Think about the church at Philippi. They loved Paul. He started their church. Many of them were won personally to the Lord by Paul. And they know he's in prison. But they don't know how he's doing. There's no internet. There's no phone call. There's no texting. There's none of that. They have no idea. And it's four years since Paul has been with this church at Philippi. Can you imagine what they were thinking? Is Paul even still alive? I wonder how Paul is doing. Is he sick? Is he in prison? Has he already been given a death sentence? What's going on with Paul? And can you imagine when they actually receive the letter from Paul and they open it up and they read it and they're, and they're going down the verse 11 verses and they're like, okay, it seems like, okay, how's Paul doing? Well, I don't know yet. Like, he's still talking about us. He's still praying for us. He's asking that we would, we would grow in our knowledge and understanding of how much God loves us. He's talking about how... how our faith encourages him so much. Well, what is, how is Paul doing? He hasn't said it yet. And then you come to verses 12 through 18 that we just read. And Paul still doesn't really shed light on how he's doing. All, of, all that he says is, is, listen, I'm in prison, but I want you to know more importantly than me being in prison and how I'm doing, I want you to know what God is doing. I want you to know that I'm having the opportunity to share with people that are searching. I want you to know that I have the opportunity to encourage those who are watching, who are you and others who have been made confident by my imprisonment or who even now aren't so fearful to share their faith. Like, that's what I want you to know. Can you think about how blown away the Philippians would have been? Like, man, I don't have that perspective when I got that news and Paul's in prison he doesn't know if he's going to die tomorrow or not wow 
That's his faith. I would have written 18 verses. I would have written five books on me. But Paul has this supernatural perspective to see the events in his life. With such an eternal perspective that trumps even what he's experiencing in the moment. See, Paul saw it as a time to engage those who were watching. And I want you to understand this morning that the rough waters that you may be experiencing right now or the rough waters that you walked through years ago that you're still trying to deal with or whatever it is this morning that you are experiencing, I want you to understand that God can take those things, those tragedies, those circumstances and use them as you embrace God's purpose to and as it frames your perspective, that you can actually encourage others that are watching. And can I tell you, they're watching. Think about people in this room that I see your faces right now. Think people in this room that even in this last year and a half, I've lost children. Thinking of times as I was preparing this message and reading this passage of Scripture and thinking of times where I had to stand up there and do that funeral. And me thinking, what in the world am I going to say? To be able to see your reactions as you walk through that extremely difficult time. And you had to deal with anger and you had to deal with bitterness and I'm sure you had to deal with jealousy. The Holy Spirit grew in you such a fresh understanding of God's purpose for your life that it shaped your perspective so that your life, your tragedy, could be used to encourage others' confidence in the Lord. Think of individuals in this room who have lost spouses even in the last year. And thinking about how you walking through that very painful time when you wanted more than anything else for God to heal that person and God chose not to do it. And not understanding why. But in the midst of that, hearing stories of how nurses' lives were changed and people's faith was encouraged where it was lacking before and on and on. Why? Because you had a fresh, Holy Spirit-driven view of your purpose and it framed your perspective so that you were able to be provided with stability in the midst of rough waters and others were encouraged some of you have taken those experiences and you've shoved them in the drawer and you're like i'm not going to deal with it i'm not going to embrace it i'm not going to take it out i'm not going to think about it and what i'm encouraging you with is that's part of your story that even though it's tragic, that's part of your story that God wants to redeem and wants to and cause you to engage with those that are searching that maybe have gone through some of those same things or are going through some of those same things. And it's that story of what you, how, how you navigated through that that's going to be used by God to lead them to the Lord. That God wants to take that thing that, that you shoved in a drawer because it's too painful. That God wants to use that and how you are learning in that even more your purpose. 
to declare and demonstrate the gospel, that God wants to use that so that you can encourage those who are watching. And I know my faith has been encouraged by you. When I've gone into rooms and I'm like, man, my heart breaking and I walk out of those rooms and you encourage me more than I know I encouraged you. I would stand up and do a funeral and do everything I could to keep it all together and walk out of there saying, man, I'm so encouraged by the perspective that God is shaping in them as they embrace their purpose and God, I want to grow in that. See, it brings confidence to those that are watching. It brings courage to those that are watching. But the thing that you're trying to navigate through and trying to walk through and step out in faith with, that God wants to use those experiences to bring courage to someone else's faith. So let's not be so self-absorbed. Wait a minute. As we encounter tragedy and we encounter rough waters, man, let's allow our purpose to frame our perspective so that we can provide stability not only in our lives but in the lives of others. Here's the third thing, third way we look at rough waters when God's purpose is framing our perspective, and it's found in verses 15 through 18 as a test to examine my motives. Are you feeling sorry for Paul yet? Because <laughs> honestly, I read this and I, I feel compassion for Paul. Because when I go to verses 15 through 18, I mean, Paul's already in prison for spreading the gospel. Like, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't deserve to be there. And knowing all the other things that Paul had to endure and will endure in his ministry life, and now he's in prison. And not only is he in prison for spreading the gospel and having to deal with the environment that he's in and the toll that that, I'm sure, is taking on his physical body, now he's also having to do with people that believe in the same Jesus that he does and attacking him and preaching the gospel with selfish ambition, trying to build their kingdom, and they're attacking Paul and with the hopes that what they're saying and spreading as far as lies about Paul will actually keep him in prison so that they can be seen as leaders in the church. And I don't know about you, but what I've found when my reputation is being attacked, when my motives are being attacked, when my actions are being attacked that are driven by pure motives, when I encounter those rough waters, and that's indeed a test. That's a test. Because it tests me to really ask myself, who am I living for? Am I living to build my kingdom? To build my influence? To build my accomplishments? To build my reputation? To build what others, how others think of me in a greater way? See, it causes me to ask, whose kingdom am I building? And then as I'm asking, whose kingdom am I building? It also causes me to ask, who's the king of this kingdom? Like, is my purpose in life truly to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ for His glory? Or is it more about my accolades, my reputation, what I can achieve? See, rough waters are a test for our motives. 
And I love that Paul says, for the sake of Christ, I'm willing to lay down my name 